Lord, we thank you that you alone are worthy. That you are worthy of all of our praise, all our worship, all the affection and adoration that we can feel, Lord, belong to you. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you are pouring out new wine. Father, you've taught us that old wineskins cannot hold new wine. But we're so comfortable, Lord God, with the old ways that we often struggle to embrace the new. So Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us and teach us the new way, Lord. Help us to let go of ourselves, to rid ourselves of ourselves, of all our self-focus, all our self-consciousness, Lord God, and to be overcome by your presence. For Lord, there is no better place to be than in your presence and in your presence alone. Wake us up, Lord Jesus. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the Most High God, weeks past, the Lord has started pouring out new wine at Grace Fellowship Church. I must confess to you that we have been struggling to let go of the old wineskins, but I want to thank you for those who lead in worship. For my sister, who felt free enough to get on her knees this morning, for my brother, who felt free enough to raise his hands, for those that I looked on your faces and I saw adoration and affection for God. For every single one of us is a lead worshiper in the kingdom. The question is, are you allowing God to break your heart and to fill you from the depths of your being with affection and adoration for him. So I challenge you this morning, let's stand together and let's sing with a depth of affection and adoration for our God once again. And I ask that every single one of us would lead in worship. Now look, if you're struggling with this, if you're struggling with what it means to lead from deep down in here, I want to encourage you to take a few minutes and just look around the room when we're in worship, and find someone, find someone that when you look at them, you see the Shekinah glory of the Lord. I saw that when I looked at you this morning. I saw that, Alan, when I looked at you this morning back there. I saw that, and I want more of it when I see it. So take the time, take the time now to ask God to help you feel from the depth of your being affection and adoration and love for God and then let that love out that he would be glorified for God does inhabit the praises of his people amen let's worship together let's worship together let's worship and our affection our devotion pour out on the feet of Jesus Devotion. 
still sinners you died for us Jesus you died for us help us to know how much you love us God for if we know this surely we will become undone in your presence Lord we will fall down on our faces and worship you in the way that you desire in spirit and in truth no phony ways for your people No plastic facades for your people. Only genuine hearts that are fully surrendered to you. To you alone. We thank you, Lord God, for your faithfulness and your promptings. We thank you that you are a hound of heaven that chases after us and chastens us and will not let us go. Father, when we take two steps back, you get back behind us and you push us and you say, go, I am with you, I am for you. Trust me. Trust me and worship me. One day I will bring you home and I will make all things new. And there will be no hindrances to worship then, where we will sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray this all in your precious name, the name that is above every name name that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. You can be seated. Lord, we thank you and praise you for our time together this morning. We praise you that you are a God who we can trust, one who is faithful in every way. We ask now, Lord, that you would continue to guide us in worship as when we stop singing it doesn't mean we stop worshiping the Lord for everything in you is worship we pray now that we would worship you in your word Lord Jesus and that you would guide us to understand the depth of the gift of your life on the cross for us we do pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said Amen. amen well good morning Grace Fellowship Church isn't it wonderful to worship our Lord together let's hear a round of applause for him come on Tony, it's going to be a miracle if I have any voice left at all because I was over there singing my heart out. I hope you were doing the same, just screaming at the top of my head. Oh my Lord, it was so awesome. I just want to do it again. Call the team out, skip the message. How's that? Yeah. Yeah.
Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to take that, my friend, but I'll talk to you afterwards. It's all good. All right, so how many of you are excited about it being Christmas time? Show of hands. Woo! Got those Christmas folks out there. How many of you are bah humbugging? Let's hear a grunt. Come on, let's hear a grunt. Ah, bah humbug right now. Well, so regardless of where you are, I'm a Christmas guy. I love Christmas. I think a lot of it had to do with my mom and my dad. I mean, they both loved the Lord. But my mom, oh my gosh, she loved Christmas so much. So right after Thanksgiving, Christmas decorations were out. Christmas tunes were on. She was singing and dancing around the whole house for a month. And you know, one of the things I realized is as a kid, it was a little embarrassing at times because we had a big bay window in the front of our house. And mom would be running through the house with tinsel. She'd be singing. She'd be like dancing. She'd be just like making this complete fool of herself. And as a kid, I kind of went, this is a little embarrassing. Mom, stay away from the bay window. But then I realized that she was so filled with joy. And I was on the inside of the house. You know, I could hear the music. So I knew why she was being so deeply moved because I was inside the house. But people on the outside of the house looking in, they couldn't understand. Why? Because they didn't hear the music. The question I have for you this morning is, do you hear the music of God? If you hear it, you're going, yes, then then you're going to respond to it. You're going to move to it because when God rejoices over you with singing, it changes you from the inside out. So if you're on the outside looking in this morning going, "Uh, what did I get myself into by coming here this morning? Welcome to Grace Fellowship Church. We're excited you're here. We're excited you're here. We are a little off the hinge here. We're a little bit crazy here, but we'd rather be crazy for Jesus, you know, and be a fool in the world's eyes than to be um, caught up in this culture that is so dark and deep. Well, regardless of how you feel about Christmas, today is the first day of Advent. And you know, um, every year we come to the same time where we're in the Christmas season. And Advent is a time in which we kind of reflect anew on the gift of Jesus Christ. And we are captured in awe that God himself, the one who created the very universe, would become flesh and be born as a baby in a manger to a poor Jewish couple. Now, can I tell you something? If I were God, I would not have come that way. Can I say this out loud? Thank God that I am not God. Thank God. Can you say amen that I am not God? Amen. Amen. Can we thank God that you are not God? Amen, right? If we were God, we would be in much deeper weeds than we are now. But God is gracious. And he became flesh and was born as a child and he has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. And can I tell you today that our series for this next four weeks is called Hope Has a Name. And can I tell you the deepest longing of our hearts is to have hope for a new day. This series is based in large part on Isaiah 9, the words of the prophet. So if you want to turn with me to the scriptures in Isaiah 9, you're welcome to do so. I'm going to read from verse 1. Nevertheless, There will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Is that not good news? In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. He will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. 
You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Why? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end, period. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal, the passion of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Today, I proclaim to you that hope does have a name. The name of Jesus Christ is the name of hope, and he bears many names to communicate his character. One of those names is Wonderful Counselor. Another one is Mighty God. Another one is Everlasting Father. Another one, Prince of Peace. Another one, Light of the World. Another one, Life and Truth. He is the embodiment of everything that you need deep in your heart. So today, we're going to talk about God being our Wonderful Counselor. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us through your word, through your spirit, through your people, and through all that you have made. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be still this morning long enough to listen to your voice, to hear you counsel us, Lord, as wonderful counselor. Father, I pray that we would leave here this morning changed, better equipped to walk in this dark and fallen world, knowing that you are the light of life and that we can trust you in every situation. We thank you and we pray this all in your precious name. Amen. What should come is no news to you, but we do live in a fallen world. Anybody say amen to that? It is a dark world indeed. In the last few weeks, we've talked just a few of those places of darkness, but here's the truth. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness will never overcome the light. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is present and powerful and will not be defeated? Now, I'm not just talking about out there. I'm talking about in here. So today, we're going to talk about God as wonderful counselor. You see, we do live in a fallen world where sin affects every area of life, and there is an unprecedented level of brokenness all around us and in us. But the answer is Jesus Christ as wonderful counselor. You see, every single one of us has dark days. How many of you have had a dark day this past week? Anybody? You see, um, what what you need when you have dark days, (laughs) you got a crutch, your crutch going up, you had a dark day, oh my gosh, I heard that, brother. Everyone has dark days. You see, everybody in the scripture had dark days. Listen to Job. I hoped for happiness and light, but trouble and darkness came instead. Could you have ever prayed that? I hoped for happiness and light, but look what I got. You see, darkness comes to us. We don't have to go looking for it. Every single one of us has dark days. 
As I thought about Christmas time and I thought about dark days, first thing I thought about was this time of year is a time of great celebration, but you do know it's also a time of unprecedented depression. For those of you who are here right now and you're struggling with that beast of depression, know full well we are with you and for you. I myself have struggled with depression throughout my life and anxiety as well. But by the grace of God, he continually saves me time and time again from the pit of despair. You see, he picks my feet up out of the muck and the mire and he puts them down on a rock, which is himself. And I pray that you would find him in the midst of your dark days as well. But as I thought about Christmas and I thought about dark days, I thought about one character that I think stands out among so many others in terms of having not only dark days, but dark weeks and dark months. He is affectionately referred to as Blockhead or Charlie Brown. So I want you to listen to this little clip from Charlie Brown's Christmas. How many remember that? Oh, yeah. Remember, how many remember waiting once a year to watch that on TV? And if you missed it, you had to wait a whole other year. No VHS tapes, no DVDs, no dial-up Amazon, none of that stuff. You had to catch it or it was gone. I don't know about you guys, but I miss those days. Anybody with me? It's a little bit of nostalgia for those of you who are younger. You know, you're like, what's he talking about? That's fine. But everybody has dark days, and Charlie Brown had his dark weeks, months, and years. Why? Because his friends around him weren't really friends a lot of times, especially Sally. Boy, that girl have a mouth, right? <laughs> so I'm going to show you this clip. She was a nasty little woman. No, okay. So I'm going to show you this clip, and I want you to listen very carefully to what's going on for Charlie, but I also want you to hear what his friends, quote-unquote, are saying to him. Let's take a look. We're back. Boy, are you stupid, Charlie Brown. What kind of a tree is that? You are supposed to get a good tree. Can't you even tell a good tree from a poor tree? I told you we'd goof it up. He's not the kind you can depend on to do anything right. You're hopeless, Charlie Brown. Completely hopeless. Rats! You've been dumb before, Charlie Brown, but this time you really did it. <laughs> what a treat! I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? So if you know what comes next, the prophet Linus <laughs> steps to center stage. And he says rather humbly yet boldly, I do Charlie Brown. And he says, lights please. And then he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. He speaks from the word of God. You see, there are those of us who know what Christmas is all about, and there are those of us who are stuck in dark places. Now, did you listen to what Charlie Brown's friends said to him? They said things like, you're stupid, Charlie Brown. You can't do anything right. You can't do anything right. You are hopeless. You're just hopeless, Charlie Brown. How many of you have ever heard voices like that speak to you? How many of you do not have to travel even outside of your own head to hear those voices? Can I tell you something? Those voices are not from God. 
they are from the pit of hell. For you have an enemy who wants to press you down and oppress you and keep you from knowing what Christmas is truly about. See, God speaks light and life into our hearts and to our minds because he is wonderful counselor. I can tell you this too. You are having a really dark day when your dog laughs at you. When your dog starts to mock you, that is a deep, deep, dark day indeed. Has anybody ever had their dog mock them? So since that movie, this little tree has become a symbol of everything that can be broken about Christmas, and yet Charlie Brown saw redemption in being able to trust and understanding what Christmas was all about so that he could take this and say, it's not really such a bad tree after all. And he could defy the crowd and the voices that were telling him he was hopeless and trust the one who could bring hope to his soul because hope is like the air that you breathe. It's essential to life. And you cannot live without hope. But your hope is under attack. Maybe you're sitting in front of a pile of bills asking yourself the question, is there hope Will I ever get out of this? Maybe you're standing at the side of a fresh grave and you're grieving the loss of a loved one. And you're asking yourself, is there hope? Will I ever be able to love like this again? Maybe you're just returning from the doctor's office where you sat and you reviewed a troubling diagnosis and you're asking yourself the question, is there hope? Maybe you've been looking for a job for weeks, months, or even years, and you're asking yourself the question, is there hope for me? Maybe you're single and you're asking yourself the question, will I ever get married? Is there hope for that for me? Maybe you're married and you're stuck in a struggling place and you're saying, is there a hope for my marriage? Will it ever be filled with life and light and love? Maybe you're trying to get pregnant. You've been around it time and time again, and you're asking yourself, will I ever have a child? Is there hope for me? Maybe you have a family and you have children, but those children aren't doing well, and they're struggling with addiction, depression, anxiety, abuse. And you're asking the question, God, is there hope? Now, let me tell you something. The world's going to try and sell you hope in a multitude of ways. Any kind of gimmick, any kind of new book, any kind of thing that they can spring on you to try and get you to put up a little cash to actually get some hope, but you will not find hope unless you find it in the person of Jesus Christ. Because he is the wonderful counselor. He is the one who brings hope. In way of research, you know, I was looking on the web to try and find some ideas that were out there for hope. You know, some people just said, have a nice cup of tea. I thought a cup of tea, for crying out loud, how's a cup of tea going to give me hope? I mean, it may be nice, but I'm not going to get hope from a cup of tea. One, uh, one kind of article promoted saying the affirmation in front of the mirror every day. I am the key to peace. Folks, if I am the key to peace, we are in deep weeds. You see, like this is what the world has to offer, a new book or a new scheme or a new gimmick or something you can buy, looking at a candle, lighting it, and just saying, I am filled with hope. Now look, I am not knocking candles. I'm not knocking tea. I happen to love tea, but they will never 
satisfy the desires of your heart. The only person who will do that is the person of Jesus Christ. Because he loves you with an undying love. And he longs for you to know that love so that love can come to you and that love can throw, move through you so that not only you are being secure in him, but now you are being significant in him. You are being used by him and you are being loved by him all at the same time. So maybe you're here today. You're feeling a little hopeless. You're feeling a little weary. Isaiah 40, 31 says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Every single one of us has dark days. But you are never without hope. As long as you have Christ Jesus and you do have him in every single one of your days, every single one of your breathing moments. Now look, every biblical character that you will look at in the scripture struggled with dark days, including Jesus himself. Peter, David, Ruth, Mary, Paul, all of them, they struggled with dark days, and some of them with deep feelings of hopelessness. Some as extreme as Job, our brother. How many people have read the book of Job? Read that. You know what? Read the book of Lamentations too, but be careful. Don't spend too much time there. Like, these are books that are heavy, heavy books. See, every single one of us has them. But if you're here and saying, oh, Pastor Jeff, I don't have any dark days. Can I tell you what that's called? That's called denial. And denial is saying that somehow you don't agree with reality. Jesus said, in, in this life, you will have much trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So he's saying, look, trouble comes to you. You don't have to go looking for trouble. It comes to you. And you are going to have some deep, dark days. Days of disappointment. Listen to Job. I hoped for happiness and light. That's what I wanted, but trouble and darkness came instead. You're going to have days of distress. Listen to David. I cried desperately for help, but still it does not come. You're going to have days of doubt. The one who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. And you're going to have days of depression. The thought of my pain and lamentations is a bitter poison. I think of it constantly, and my spirit is depressed within me. Listen to the psalmist, lover, friend, acquaintance. All are gone. There is only darkness everywhere I look. I'm sure that all of us here have felt that at times, but God in his faithfulness has a way of bringing us out of that darkness into his great light, for he is the wonderful counselor. So for starting place for some of you is you just need to acknowledge that you have dark days. Jeremiah says this in the New Living Translation, you can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. Can you say that after me? You can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. You see, some of us think that if we express, I'm struggling with some depression, that that makes us weak. Guess what? The scripture already says you are weak. The scripture says you're desperate, that you are made to be dependent and that you desperately need God. This is why Paul says, therefore I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may be evident through me. It's not me that's bringing the healing about. It's God. You see, in my own self, I'm weak, but when I'm in Christ, then I'm strong. So when you're weak, then you're strong. Others of us, we don't struggle with acknowledging our brokenness. 
We're just stuck in darkness. We've been depressed for days, weeks, months, years, stuck in anxiety for long periods of time, and we feel a sense of hopelessness because we've never been able to break through and have victory in that area. Now, each week throughout the series, we'll be looking at a specific biblical character, and today, we're going to take a look at the person of Joseph. We're going to look at his struggles with distress and doubt and depression and disappointment and how God, as wonderful counselor, was the hope that he needed to get through his dark days. Now, this is not a guy that we talk a lot about. I mean, this dude is kind of neglected in the narrative. We often talk about Mary. We talk, of course, about baby Jesus. We talk about the Magi, and we have quick mention to Joseph. But can you imagine what it was like to be Joseph? I mean, gosh, he was betrothed to Mary his babe. This was his wife-to-be. Like, guys, I don't know if, you, if you're married out there and you remember what it was like to, like, the anticipation of being married to your bride. Oh, my gosh, I can't. I, re, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was 26 years ago. Where's my wife? There you are, way back here. 26 years? 27. Do I, do I hear 28? Hey, she's filled with mercy and grace, right? It's all good, Spark. You know my mind. Yeah, that was, we'll just ignore them. <laughs> but I remember like it was yesterday, standing there and watching my bride walk down that aisle. I broke down sobbing. I just couldn't believe that God would bless me by allowing me to marry a woman like Tracy. I was overcome. I was filled with awe. I was like, oh my gosh, God, you are so good. So this dude, Joseph, he's got this babe named Mary, and he's been betrothed to her. He's like a 15 or a 16-year-old dude in a, in a kind of clan culture where family is everything, where closeness is everything, intimacy with God, intimacy with each other. Yes, sin is rampant there, but this people loves God. This people is the people of God. And Joseph, we know from Scripture, was a godly man. He was a godly man. So can you imagine what he felt like when Mary came to him and said, yo, Joe, pregnant, knocked up by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Can you imagine what he must have felt? Can you imagine how disappointed he was that all his dreams for the future were now being dashed? Now, here's the truth. God was giving him something much better than what he had anticipated, but he did not know it. For things are not always what they appear. Listen carefully, child of God. When pain comes to you, it's not always a bad thing. When pain comes to you, sometimes God is giving you something more than you could have ever anticipated or asked for. Because pain is a great teacher. Let's listen. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Let's stop there for a second. This is a little window of the soul into Joseph. You don't know a whole lot about the man, but this little window says fathoms about who Joseph was in God. 
You see, it said here that he loved the law, that he adhered to the law, that he trusted God. He was faithful to God's ways. Not perfectly, but he wanted the things that God wants. Can I tell you something? God's not so much concerned about changing your behavior. You know what he wants to change? He wants to change your heart. He wants you to want the things that he wants. Then you don't have to white-knuckle your way through life trying just to try and contort yourself into these things that are kind of outside of you. Now the Spirit of God lives inside of you. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. And yet, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So not only did Joseph adhere to the law, but he had the mercy and grace of God. Think about it. He comes to her and says, I'm pregnant, God did it. And in his mind, he's going, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Sure, God did it. So he knows the law says he can't marry her. As a matter of fact, the law says she should be stoned. She should be stoned to death. But what does he do? He resolves in her heart quietly to divorce her because he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. A godly man protects people, even those who hurt him. Do you hear it? Men, listen up. Your wives will and have hurt you. Do you still protect them? Do you still act as one who is an over-shepherd for them, one who actually acts as a godly head? Here's an example in Joseph of one doing that very thing. He says, look, I love God's law. I can't marry her. Obviously, she's been with some other man. I can't do that. But I'm also going to continue to protect her. I'm not going to open her up to public disgrace. I'm going to divorce her quietly and to the side. This was obviously a very disappointing and discouraging time for our brother Joseph. Verse 20. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in dream and counseled him. The wonderful counselor came to Joseph and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you, Joseph, are to play a part. You're going to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to his son. And he did give him the name of Jesus. So look, we're going to look at four ways today that God was a wonderful counselor to Joseph. Just in this short narrative, and, and I want you to know something, God is a wonderful counselor to you in these very same ways. The question is, are you receiving his counsel? Now, God counsels you through his spirit, that's his spiritual promptings, through his word, his holy word, that truly is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path, and through his people. He also counsels you through all his creation. So the question is, are you receiving his counsel? Are you listening to the counsel of God? Now look, I started counseling in my 20s. I'm a strong believer in biblical counseling. I, I was dooby-doo down, down enough in my 20s to finally look up enough, and I got help. 
and I went to a counselor. It took me a year to find out that the counselor I was with was sicker than I was. Because when you first go to counseling, you really don't know what you're looking for. You don't know what you need. So I had some godly friends around me, and I would tell them the things this counselor was saying. They were like, uh, yo, dude, red flags. Doesn't sound really healthy. And I'm like, really? They're like, yeah, like, run, run away. So I fired that counselor, which, by the way, you can do. And I got another counselor, and another counselor I got was a good counselor. God's not just a good counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. So you will find good counsel here on earth, but Jesus Christ is your wonderful counselor. And I want to tell you a couple of things that I learned about good counselors. Here's the first thing. Good counselors all listen well. When you pay a counselor that good chunk of money, you are paying that person to listen to you. By the way, listening in and of itself is incredibly healing. How many of you want people to listen to you attentively? How many people, you know the feeling when somebody's trying to act like they're listening, but they're really not listening? Everybody who's married, raise their hand. And you're like, keep that. I don't want that. Please be with me. Listen to me. And good counselors listen well. Now, God is a wonderful Talk to him. Talk to him. Look, this is a conversation. We talk about words like prayer, and we use the word prayer. It's relationship. Talk to him. Listen to him. He's your dad in heaven. He's your Abba. He's your daddy. That's the way Jesus defined him. So you talk to him as if you would talk to your daddy because you're one of his kids. So look, I understand that some people are immersed in the old King James way of things, and you come in and you go, Lord, I beseech thee, pour out upon me thy blessings for blah, 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 blah. And you go, would your kid talk to you that way? If your kid came in and said, Father, beseech upon me my allowance, for I do, well, declare, you know, blah, 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 you'd say, what are you smoking? That's what you would say, right? You don't have to put it on. You just talk to him. Look, we have three children. I'm, I'm grateful for all three of our children, Zach, Michaela, and Noah. They're all now into adulthood, and we're watching them at a whole different stage and age, which is beautiful. And yet, they were all very different growing up. KK was our talker. She still is. I love talking to my daughter, Michaela. I just love talking to her. We just get into these deep conversations where we literally exhaust ourselves talking, talking, talking. Now, as a little one, we used to call her, I used to call her Wee Bit, Sweetie Pete. That was my name for Kay. Still is sometimes. Sweetie Pete. She would sit next to me on the car seat, and we'd be driving, and she would talk, 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 talk. And a half hour, I'm just loving this. 45 minutes, I'm loving it. An hour, I'm getting a little tired. Hour and 15, hour and 15, I'm like, gosh, Lord, please, I love her, but help her to stop. Because I have limitations. God does not have any limits. God never tires of you talking to him. Never. So as a man who's been practicing my faith for 30 years in Jesus Christ and walking in this relationship, can I tell you that I'm still practicing every day just walking and talking to God. He doesn't matter how little it is, you just talk to him about it. You tell him about it, you say, God, like right now I'm going to do this, I really want this conversation to go well. Lord, please speak through me. Like, I don't know this person. I don't know much about them. But like, Lord, I'm, I'm going to buy some stuff at Walmart. Will you help me to run into a few people who need you? And just help me, Lord, to kind of be used by you to shine your light into their lives. Because I really want them to know 
that you love them. God, I'm, I'm going to go out to dinner with my wife tonight. God, I'm going out to dinner with my husband tonight. God, I'm going with my kids tonight. Would you please help me to be a light to them, a lamp to them? Please help me to love them well, God. Please help me to navigate this difficult situation well. You see, just go throughout life talking to God. I had a buddy I used to walk with. His name was Roy. I don't even know where Roy is. It's been years since I walked with him. We used to hike together. And Roy would freak me out because I'd be hiking with Roy, and he'd be talking to me about something, and all of a sudden he'd just shift and start talking to Jesus. He'd be like, hey, Jeff, so, uh, yeah, what about, how's Zach doing or whatever? And I'd say, well, Jack's doing wrong. He's like, well, Jesus. And I'm like, who's he talking to? <laughs> but for him, it was so fluid. His conversations with people and his conversations with God, it was just all together in one. And you know what? I learned from Roy how to talk to God. God is a wonderful counselor, and he listens to you well, and he never tires of you talking to him. However, at times he wants you to stop talking, and he wants you to listen. So good counselors are not only good listeners, but good counselors, they know when and how to poke and prod. They know how to push us in such a way to make us a little uncomfortable so we start to grow. You know, and every counselor that I've ever been with has been a good counselor. I realize that counselor is wise, and they look for openings, and then they kind of push and poke and prod, and they make me a little frustrated at some point because I go, I thought you were my friend. And they go, I am your friend. That's why I'm making you uncomfortable. See, God is a wonderful counselor, and God has a way of making us uncomfortable. God also is very patient. Do you know that God waits on you? The scripture says that God waits for you. While you wait for God, he waits for you. He says it waits, that he's waiting to pouring his grace out on you. God is patient, he is kind, he is gentle. He waits for you. He knows that your transformation is a long process, that it's not gonna happen all at once. How many of you would like your problems to go away today? Of course you would. <laughs> How many of you get deceived into thinking that they will? Look, you watch Gilligan's Island, right? You watch the Brady Bunch? Right? You know the shows were actually in, in detrimental to you. You know why? Because problems presented and resolved themselves within a 30-minute time frame. You watched enough of that stuff, and you thought that how's life was. You thought life was going to be resolved in 30 minutes, and somebody named uh, Greg Brady was going to come in and take care of it or Marcia, or whoever it was. Somebody was going to come in there and take care of it that way. No, God is patient with you, and he knows that it's going to be a long process in your transformation. Trace and I, when we first went to marriage counseling in our first year, because we had some struggle, didn't we, Spark? We don't struggle anymore, right? <laughs> She's laughing now. Um, we had some struggles in that first year. We were trying to figure out how to put it together, and this little gal named Sally... We sat with this little gal named Sally. She's four foot nothing. I don't know. She's really short, but boy, was she a powerful little woman. She'd get in my face. <laughs> she is really good. And I remember one time I was like, come on, let's get this ball rolling. We want to get this thing fixed. Sally, come on, fix this for us. You know, we got to get this right. And she says, Jeff, stop. I said, what? And she said, what would you tell me if I told you that this is going to take 50 years to get this worked out? I said, 50 years? I'm paying you $100 an hour, man. This better take five weeks. I want this to be done. Come on, chop, chop. And all of us, I think, buy into that mindset that somehow things need to go faster. But no, God in his sovereignty is patient with our process. As a wonderful counselor, he is the one who encourages me when I'm disappointed. Say that out loud. He encourages me when I'm disappointed. Now look, all of us get disappointed. We know that Joseph 
was surely disappointed in his time. It says, the Lord is near to those who are discouraged. This is in Psalm 34, 18. He saves those who have lost all hope. Now look, the Lord is with you. If you're in Jesus Christ, the Lord is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise of God that you can count on. And you are going to be disappointed. And a lot of times when you get disappointed, that disappointment is going to lead you into a place of despair. And you're going to be in a dark day because your expectations are not being met. Can I tell you, expectations in the context of relationships, interpersonal relationships, are one of the number one causes of unnecessary pain. Because we expect things that don't come to fruition. And then... When we get frustrated, we end up either fleeting or fighting. We end up making the situation work. Can you imagine how Joseph felt thinking about his future with this woman and then finding out that she was pregnant and it wasn't him? Talk about disappointment. Talk about feelings of betrayal. Can you imagine what was happening in the context of all of that? He didn't know what was going to come. The Lord spoke to him, yes, but he didn't ultimately have the whole roadmap laid out. He just was disappointed, even though God delivered something better than he could have ever expected. And surely, Joseph knew the word of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Can you say that part with me? And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. See, expectations and relationships are killers especially when we place them more important over the sovereign will and plan of God. Unmet expectations are a place that can breed dark days. And let me explain to you expectations and relationships. The first thing that can be a problem is that your expectations can be unknown to you. So you're not even really sure what you're expecting, but you have it somewhere down there, and you just know this person is frustrating you right and left, but you don't even know what you're expecting of them. It's just not clear to you. Those expectations can be often unrealistic. So look, if you get married, there's a part of you that expects this person to complete you. They will not. Can you say that out loud with me? They will not. They will not complete you. The only one that will complete you is Jesus Christ. Now they can help, but they cannot be God for you. Now they're called to be a damaged, tangible image bearer for him, but you're going to have expectations that are going to be unrealistic, and God's going to need to show you that what you're expecting from them is not realistic for that person. But Jeff, other people have met these expectations from me. Yes, I understand, but they're probably unrealistic for that person because everybody's different. Expectations can be unknown, they can be unrealistic, and they can be unspoken. Now let me just kind of <laughs> infiltrate a disease. A disease in our culture is like, well, I'm not going to tell you what I want because if I do, then it won't count. You know this kind of thing, right? Well, if I have to tell you, then it just takes away the value, so I'm not going to tell you. You figure out what I want. You're, you're my husband. You're my wife. You're supposed to figure it out. Can I tell you that is a bunk of whatever? Like, that's not true. You need to get this stuff out in the open. You need to tell people what you're expecting. It's a risk. Why? Because first of all, they may not give you what you're expecting. And two, once you get it out, you might find out that it's completely unrealistic. You might say it and you go, I can't believe I'm expecting this from you. <clears throat> Let me say this in the context of a relationship. You might say something, well, I expect you to be there for me all the time. Can anybody be there for you all the time except Jesus Christ? No. 
But see, when you voice it, then you get in touch with the reality. This is kind of crazy to actually believe that you're going to get that from someone. Now, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. When he shines into your life, he shows you what you're expecting. He also helps you reveal what's unrealistic. He actually helps you then voice these things in such a way that they can be heard. He allows your expectations to come out into the light. Because often when you are disappointed, it's like a red flashing light. He says things like this, all places, all people, all things in your life will fail you, but I will never fail you. And I am the one who will infuse you with courage even when you are greatly discouraged as a result of the people around you disappointing you. So God is the one who encourages me when I'm disappointed. Say it with me again. He encourages me when I'm disappointed. Two, he comforts me when I'm distressed. Now look, we can assume that Joseph was thrown into someone of a whirlwind here. Hearing the news that Mary was pregnant and pondering these things in his heart and deciding to divorce her quietly, you can imagine that his heart was beating kind of fast. Life comes at us, folks. There's the unexpected that comes to us. And I'm amazed at how often the scripture says, do not be afraid. Say that after me. Do not be afraid. Some people have said that the scripture says it 365 times. I disagree with that. I actually think it says it more. But at least one for every day of the year. Why? Because God knows that you are susceptible for fear. Now look, how many of you think that you've been afraid in the last week? Now those of you who are not raising your hands, I want to address you, because I've talked to you before, and I'll, I'll listen to you and I'll say, after listening, like a good counselor does, I'll say, it sounds like you're afraid. You go, I'm not afraid. Can I tell you something? Now you're afraid of saying you're afraid. <laughs> you know why? Because you changed your posture. You want to guess, I'm not afraid. And I'm like, yeah, but your arms are telling me that you're self-protecting right now, and your voice tells me that you actually are afraid. Now you're afraid of saying you're afraid. See, fear comes to us so easily, and yet God is the one who speaks into our life, and there's nothing in the world, nothing in the world like experiencing the supernatural peace of Jesus Christ in the midst of difficult and distressing moments. Some of you have experienced this before. Now, this past uh, three years, I've gone through a motorcycle accident. I've gone through a stroke. I went through a broken ankle. Tracy, my wife, had a breast cancer scare about a month ago or two. Praise God, she doesn't have breast cancer. We found that out. Praise the Lord. Amen. And look, I say this knowing full well that this list doesn't even compare to some of the things that you've gone through. Some of the things that people have gone through in this body are so much deeper and darker than what I have gone through and what my family has gone through. But I want you to know this, in the midst of these trying times for us, we have experienced at times a peace that surpasses all understanding and it has defied logic in every way. The only way we can attribute to the peace we've had is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Let me give you an example. When my ankle was broken, I slipped on the ice in front of a friend's house. I fell on my butt and I looked up and my, my foot was 90 degrees to my leg. I got an ambulance, they took me to the hospital, and my foot had drooped beyond 90 degrees from my leg, so it was just hanging off, just broken off. The guy said it was like, you know, I said, hey, do I have weak bones? He said, no, momentum plus rotation. He said, Jeff, it's like twisting a chicken bone out of the socket. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I'm sorry for making you too queasy. <laughs> but I kind of got, you know, intrigued by the whole thing, and so they rushed me to the hospital. My wife met me there, and friends come, the kids come, and stuff like that, and um, I was dislocated as well as broken in a bunch of places. So the first thing they have to do is try and put your ankle back in socket. And the way they do that is they yank on it and twist it. Now the woman said, you need some opiates to do this. And I said, I don't take opiates. And she said, you will now. 
And I said, no, I don't take opiates. I'm a recovering addict. I don't do that. And she said, well, I'll shoot you with some lidocaine. She's going to hurt. I said, let's do it. So she shot me up with some lidocaine, and she yanked, and I screamed. And then I laughed. And she twisted the thing, and Tracy and I burst out laughing because it was just ridiculously funny that we were actually in this situation. And I don't attribute that to me. That was God. And the woman's looking at us like we have three heads. So she goes away. She takes the x-ray out. She comes back like an hour and a half later. She goes, I got bad news. I'm like, yeah, what's up? She said, uh, well, we got to do it again. I said, praise the Lord. Let's go ahead and do it again. <laughs> now, this is not me. This is not me. I'm telling you. And my daughter is sitting there watching all this and going, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so she twists and yanks my ankle again. I yell, but then we all laugh, and I'm making jokes, and Tracy's joking, and we're all joking again, and we're having this joyous time in the emergency room while they're trying to yank my ankle back in. That is Jesus Christ. That is not me. Can I tell you that I was filled with supernatural pieces? They're rolling me on a gurney into the operating that new nut for, for emergency surgery. Now, there are hard parts of this, folk. I'm not saying that when we, we are cut, we don't bleed. We do, and I struggled with this whole reality, too. But there was a witness that was coming through me to the hearts of other people, and my daughter came to us and said, do you see what other people are seeing? I said, no, what? She said, they see joy and peace in you because of Jesus Christ. You understand when you experience the peace of God that comes from him being a wonderful counselor that comforts you when you're distressed is a witness to the world that he is alive and he is the one who brings peace to weary souls. See, God is a wonderful counselor who encourages you when you're disappointed, who comforts you when you're distressed, and he guides you when you're doubtful. When I'm confused, that's when I know which way to go. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So if you follow me, you won't be stumbling around in darkness. For living life, light will flood your path. What are you worried about right now? What consumes your waking hours? What keeps you up at night? What causes your stomach to churn? What major decisions are you facing this year? Are you stuck with paralysis by analysis? You're trying to figure out which way to go. Can I tell you that God is a wonderful counselor and he is the most amazing guide that you will ever find, but you must go to his word in his spirit. You must be in the word of God, in the spirit of God, and listen to him speak to you because there is no other place in the world that you will get the kind of advice that you truly need. Oprah Winfrey is great in so many ways. So many other people are great. They can't give you what you need. Only God can give you that. The scripture said his word is like a light. It's like a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path. He is going to show you the way to go. And can I tell you that he only gave Joseph the next right step. He said, look, take Mary as your wife and there give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from the sin. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. You see, God is pointing back to his word. The virgin will conceive and give birth to his son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When God spoke to Joseph, God used the word of God to help reveal the will of God. But you must be in the word of God for God to speak to you this way. I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm going to say here. If you struggle with hopelessness, sometimes hope is only two steps away. Here's the first step. You need to know the promise of God's presence and power in your life. If you're here and you're in Christ Jesus, 
He's already made a promise to you that he will never leave you nor forsake you, that his presence and power are with you, for you, and in you, and he has given you everything you need for life and godliness, period. He's given you everything. If you're here and you're not in Christ Jesus, can I beg you to come to him? Because then he will say, you are my child, I am your father, I am your father in heaven, nothing in all of creation will ever separate you from me. That's the promise we have. So one, we have to count the promise of God's presence and power in our lives. And the second thing we need for hope is the next right step. Say that with me. The next right step. All you need to know is the very next right thing to do. Well, Jeff, no, I need to know, like, the whole thing. No, no, you don't. Matter of fact, if you knew the whole thing, you probably would crawl up in a catatonic state. Can you imagine if, if, if God revealed to Joseph the whole thing right here? So, by the way, dude, like, uh, not only marry her, give him the name Jesus, but by the way, like, they're going to want to kill the kids, so you're going to have to go to Egypt. And then, you know, he's going to go through the walk through the whole thing. By the way, someday he's going to die on a cross. Like, Joseph probably would have crawled up in a catatonic state and said, forget it. So God's gift to you is that he doesn't give you the whole roadmap at once. He just says things like this. Go to the stop sign, turn left. But God, like, I really need to know the whole, no, trust me, go to the stop sign and turn left. Once you turn left, then I'll give you the next right step. You see, God doesn't spell the whole thing out for us. He is a wonderful counselor. He encourages us when we're disappointed. He comforts us when we're distressed, and he guides us when we're doubtful. And lastly, he lifts us when we're depressed. You know that when you're depressed, God doesn't come to you and slap you on the back and say, cheer up, son. He doesn't do that. He actually takes the opportunity when you're depressed to teach you things and to send you on mission. Now, some of you have struggled with depression. I have. You go, really? Mission when I'm depressed? Yes, mission. Mission will change your life. Depression and anxiety both have to do with mission and vision. Let me explain something to you. Depression is often caused by a lack of vision for life. It's often caused by a deep questioning of your own value, the value you have to God, and the value you have to others. Depression can come to you. And I'm not an expert on brain chemistry. So by the way, I want to say, like, I'm not telling you to get off your meds, but I am telling you this. Medication is overprescribed in our culture. For depression... And that depression often is a very deep spiritual problem. I have dealt with it, folks. I've had horrible panic attacks in my life as well. I know what it's like to go through those things. But I can tell you this. God wants to change you from the inside out. He wants to use these struggles to reveal truth to you about himself. Now listen, anxiety is often caused by having vision, but you have an unreasonable time frame for when that vision or mission will become accomplished. So you'll get tied up in knots in your life because you're thinking, okay, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, but you're trying to push things too much and inside you are filled with anxiety. And God doesn't long for you to live that way. He wants you to trust him in such a way that he calls you to his plans for your life. But you have to be transformed by the way that you think, renewing of your mind. Let me help you understand something. One minute of negative thinking. How many of you think you've spent at least one minute of negative thinking in the last few days? One minute, one minute of negative thinking causes thousands of chemical reactions to happen in your body and your brain. And even if you manage somehow to stop your negative thoughts, it still takes up to 24 hours for that chemistry to clear itself out of your system. There's only three ways that have been proven or even conjectured to clear up or expedi speed up that process. The first one is prayer. 
The second one is exercise. And the third one is doing something for someone else. Even those who don't know Jesus have discovered that getting outside of yourself and loving other people will help lift you up out of a pit. This is God's design for our lives. He saved us because he loved us, but he saved us to send us on mission for the glory of him. He lifts me up by helping me really realize I have a design and that he wants me to walk in it. Listen to Jeremiah 29. This is Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You see, God longs for us to walk in his plan by choosing to love him by loving others. He told Joseph, get up, take Mary as your wife, give him the name Jesus, and then go on mission for me. Go out and bring Jesus to the world. Joseph was bringing Jesus to the world, and the same mission that he gave Joseph, he gives you and I. God is a wonderful counselor who encourages me when I'm disappointed, comforts me when I'm distressed, he guides me when I'm doubtful, and he lifts me when I'm depressed. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness to us. We praise you, God, that you are a wonderful counselor and that we can submit ourselves to you in every area of life. We ask now, Lord, that you would guide us as we close and worship with one more song. And Father, as we leave this place today, we ask that you'd help us to come to you, not just to talk to you, although that's super important, God, but to listen to you. For you are a counselor who brings light to darkness. You are a counselor who brings truth to lies. You are a counselor who brings life to death. And you are the one whom we need. So Father, we submit ourselves to you now. Help us to know you as the most wonderful counselor there ever was or ever be. And help us to respond in worship. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, let's stand together. I know we're a little over time, so if you need to go, get your kids, you're welcome to do that. We'd love for you to stay and worship with us for one more song.